Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. It's November, or as Kevin Godby calls it, the kickoff to brown liquor season. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, it's sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on election night 2018. Yeah, it's uh, Tuesday night, and I hope everybody has voted here in the United States. (laughs) Um, We're the only ones that do that. Anyway, uh, in tonight's show, in this week's show, in Pipe Parts, I'm going to start a uh, start a bit of a series of what I call the uh, the quintessential pipes, and that's that was prompted by uh, somewhat by last week's show, and then a couple other questions that have come up. So we'll start doing that. The quintessential pipes that uh, that one should have, or at least have tried or seen. Uh, my guest tonight well it'll be the final part of uh story time with sykes wilford uh the last so uh, this will be the last segment of what he recorded while he was uh, uh marooned here at my house during the hurricane back in uh august september september yeah uh and then we'll have a uh, music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show Uh, And I hope to see as many of you as possible this weekend, this upcoming weekend in Las Vegas at the West Coast Pipe Show, the Palace Station Hotel Casino. I will have a table. And remember, come up to my table, tell me I love the Pipes Magazine radio show and I've got a gift for you. Uh, I'll be sharing my table with uh, pipe maker Ryan Alden so you can take a look at his pipes. And... uh, and I'll I'll kind of touch on this in a little bit, but uh, I'll even have some of my uh, some of my estate pipes that I'm bringing with me to sell. So, uh, want to have a pipe that I smoked? Well, we've auctioned those off in the past, but uh, now I'm uh, thinning the herd a little bit at this week's uh, at this upcoming West Coast Pipe Show, the uh, Palace Station Saturday Sunday. Hope to see a whole bunch of you there. If you have uh, not made it to a pipe show yet, you know you really should. And uh, speaking of pipe shows, if you want to hear me talk about uh, preparing for your first visit to a pipe show, uh, Mike Murphy had me on as a guest of the Pipe and Tamper, and that came out this past weekend, so check that out. Uh, It's the Pipe and Tamper podcast available on iTunes. All right, let's get the show rolling, so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and for pipe parts, uh, we're going to start talking about um, uh, what I guess is uh, called, um, let's see, uh, how does he say it? Uh, What is a pipe, in your opinion, that I should have on my must-have list? All right. A must-have list, and this comes from listener Charlie, who thought maybe this wasn't right for the Pipes Magazine radio show, but at the same time, I get this question a lot from uh, from people on uh, you know that communicate with me through Facebook or whatever. You know, what are the what are the pipes that I need to have in my collection or need to have tried in my collection? And you know, and we'll we'll go we'll go from the for this week, we'll start off in the uh, in the more moderate price range, uh, the more reachable price range. And I'm not going to tell you to buy a brand new one. I'm going to tell you that an estate pipe, an estate pipe that's properly cleaned and in good condition, will suffice for a must-have. 
But the reason I want to mention these must-haves is because I don't want anybody's preconceived notions or, you know, what you've heard on forums or what you've heard in chat rooms shy you away from potentially finding what exactly is your favorite. All right? So, starting off with the uh, with the larger brands that are you know, that are, uh, well, you know, mass distributed and well-known. There is three, Peterson, Savinelli, and Stanwell. Uh, I think you, as a pipe smoker, need to try one time in your life to own and try smoking a Peterson, a Savinelli, and a, and a Stanwell, just to find out whether or not that may become your new favorite magic brand. Uh, all three of those are long time tried, tested, true brands that have many shapes and it doesn't matter, you know, find a shape that's comfortable for you, find a finish that is appealing to you. But again, what I want you to do is make sure that you have at least owned and smoked one of those as you're, uh, as you're going through your pipe collecting or pipe accumulating hobby. Uh, I have owned all three of those I do own two of them still at this time and it doesn't matter which ones I own or what I own but I'm telling you try them uh, you want to make sure that you've had the opportunity to smoke them the other two and these will be up in price a little bit from that but I think that everybody in the pipe smoking hobby at one time or another should own and smoke a Dunhill or and a Costello. Uh, quite simply, again, the you know the Dunhill, the benchmark for which all of the great English pipes were uh, uh, were weighed against, and Costello for their years and years and years of high quality and tradition. And I will tell you, uh, two of my favorite pipes from uh, smoking, you know, going back to. Oh boy, 1998 are two old Costellos. Uh, but again, I want you to try those and I want you to look at them as, you know, maybe this is my new favorite brand. Uh, maybe they work better with your tobacco or they make your tobacco completely different. <laughs> uh, I talked about it recently on uh, in an interview where, you know, I smoke one very... I smoke basically one type of tobacco and the way I get a variance out of the tobaccos is from the different pipes that I smoke. Now, how do you start working your way into these? Cause you know, money doesn't grow on trees and we don't have, uh, we don't, we don't have that, uh, uh, you know, pipes aren't free. Um, well, here's exactly what I did and what I know a couple other pipes magazine radio show listeners did uh, you know, you, when you look at your pipe rack and you realize that there are pipes that get smoked less often, get rid of them, just get rid of them. And it might be six or seven pipes, but you know, if there's six or seven, uh, basket pipes or board, you know, house pipes or something like that, and you trade them in or sell them off to friends or whatever you do with them. And then you get yourself one Peterson, one Savinelli, one, one of these one of these pipes that is on the must try list let's just call them that the uh yeah these are things that i think everybody should have tried at one time or another um and really when you look at pipes unless you've got an emotional attachment to a pipe um you really shouldn't have it if it's not getting smoked that often. It's really not fair to that pipe, and it's not fair to you, unless you just like the way it really looks just sitting there, and you can afford to have it sit there. But again, so what I did early on was I got some decent pipes, and then I ended up trading up and you know maybe, uh, maybe sold off or traded three or four to get one of the next tier up and just kept working my way up. And I also waited for estate pipes to be priced and with you know what I thought was uh, fair and what I could afford at that time but again take a look if you haven't if you're a pipe smoker pipe collector whatever you want to call yourself 
If you've never smoked a Peterson, Savinelli, Stanwell, Dunhill, or Costello, I think those should be on your bucket list of things to try. Uh, Next week, we'll go upscale a little bit more with maybe some American or handmade or artisans. So (laughs) that'll be fun. And in just a minute, uh, story time with Sykes Wilford. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. And we are back, and remember when we last had Sykes on, we left off with talking about some tobaccos that he brought, so we kind of pick right up there. Um, The other thing that you pulled out of your bag was made in Scotland. and Quite some time ago. And I've posted on Facebook, yeah, it was made in Scotland back when there was a tobacco factory in Scotland. Um, It's a probably 28 to 30-year-old tin of three nuns that is just incredible and has possibly ruined my palate. Um, I was actually kind of thinking if there was a way to, after smoking it, detach my tongue, suspend my tongue in animation so that the flavor wouldn't wear off and then put my tongue back in my mouth when I wanted that taste. However, if I took my tongue out, I wouldn't be able to do the radio show Or some people would be really thrilled (laughs) because I couldn't talk. (laughs) It would be convenient or inconvenient depending on your perspective. Yeah, but so it is is always nice when a hurricane evacuee shows up with a 30-year-old tin of tobacco that is just incredible. Well, Brian, I showed up at your old house with a two-year-old, which is an adventure in and of itself. More fun than, yeah. He is kind of a lot of fun. Yeah, he is fun. Yeah. Um. And, and seven cats, and yeah. you just welcomed us in. So I figured the, the least I could do was bring a very old tin of pipe tobacco, because that's what one does. The two-year-old's a lot more fun to play with than the parents. Yeah, he is. He is pretty fun. And, 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 and at two years old, they are perfectly amused with my sense of humor. Most people, by the time of age three, three and a half, my, you know, my humor wears off sometimes. I, you're 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 Quickly. being self-deprecating, <laughs> uh, uh, Brian. But uh, yeah, John, John, my son, um, has a, a new best friend. It is very clear. Yeah, and I'm and I'm programming him to uh, identify Mickey Mouse. And he really should be doing this radio show with you. Except it, if he did, it would just be bus and ball and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, core, core important words. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got yes and please. Yes. And play and outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're no, we're doing good. Yeah. Uh, and then the final thing that I wanted to talk about was you, know, you. You mentioned previously the artisan pipes that are in your pipe rack, and I know from my time in the industry that I've got some pipes that mean a lot to me. Uh, you some of those pipes have got to mean an awful lot to you because they were either you know from you know they were they were gifted to you from the pipe maker that you've worked with for years or you know they were you've got personal relationships with just all of these people and they've got to bring back wonderful memories when you look at them i there i have many pipes that are very special to me um but to to I don't know. I'll, I'll pick one and maybe roll from there. Um, but uh, one that's in my in my pipe bag uh, downstairs right now uh, is a Tokotomi from 2003. Um, that was his. So in, in, in the early 2000s, Tokotomi started playing with uh, the shape that is now called the blowfish. Um, and he started rejecting some of the... Uh, 
impositions on the style that that Sixton and Yes and former had imposed upon it in order to make it coherent from from a modernist Western aesthetic sensibility. Um, and he sort of reimagined it and and argued that that the the shape could play in ways that it, it hadn't previously as long as you kept the balance in the shape. And so Togotomi became very famous for his blowfish and now it has of course everybody most everybody makes blowfish in in the style of Togotomi. So you look at American shape shaping and, and elsewhere. Um, in many cases they're looking to Togotomi. But that all happened in a particular moment in two thousand I think it was late two thousand and three, early two thousand and four where he he just said no like the shank can can move and um, the line on the bottom of the shank can can have uh, can can wave and have forward energy and and all that and so one of these pipes that's very special to me is a pipe that wasn't acceptable for sale because it had a big flaw in the shank that uh, he finished out really nicely um, and uh, and then gave to me that was uh, early in this project like they, it wasn't the first one but there were many sort of iterative attempts at this idea uh, that he was he was making in those days um, so that pipe is is very special to me um, I have a, 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 a Nana Everson from 2005 or 6 I'd have to look at the bottom of the pipe to remember which year um, that was uh, from not long after we started working with Nana um, and it's a blow, blowfish, but we would we would call it you know an asymmetrical apple these days because that was the old meaning <laughs> of the blowfish shape. The the what Lars and Nana and, and Yes meant when they said blowfish. Um, uh, so that that pipe is very. It's also a smaller pipe um, that she sort of scaled down her her shapes in order to make something yeah. that, that I would smoke. Um, so that pipe is very special to me. Um, I have a. A smaller Yeskanovich. It's sort of the same idea. Like you know, it was uh, not quite up to snuff for for sale, but uh, but he gave to me. And it was very special to me. Um, I have a little Keichigoto uh, sandblasted horn. Really a small pipe, um, especially when you you know you normally picture very large, very complicated compositions, um, very formal compositions from right. from Goto. Um, and this is like a, a playful little go-to um, that I love. So I, I lots of pipes like that over the years. Is refresh my memory? Is go-to the one that would also hide inlay in pipes in different spots? And yeah, yeah, he did some of that. Large yeah. did some of that too once in a while. Um, go-to yeah. did that a few times. Um, you know, it, it's also the kind of thing that you do once or twice because it's fun, and then. Yeah you don't do anymore because it's an enormous amount of work that people rarely see. And it becomes routine instead of special. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, kind of like having a yellow stem. Y yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yellow stems are, this particular yellow is not routine though. No, this, no. this particular yellow is a little different, <laughs> but I do love acrylic cause it doesn't oxidize at all. And it, I mean, they're workhorse pipes. I was such a vulcanite snob for many years. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I love Vulcanite. I love the mouthfeel. Um, but for sort of day in day out pipes, I've I've embraced acrylic a lot of the time just because I don't need to fuss with it. Yeah. I don't have to worry about whether it's sitting out. I don't have to worry about you know whatever. Yeah, not oxidizing on your pipe rack with some random toy there. Yeah, yeah. The Millennium Falcon never oxidizes. Mm -mm. No. no, no, and it never gets shot down either. No, no. It's been it's been hanging out there. Um, without any TIE fighters around for <laughs> for like 10 years. And I will interrupt here while we uh, take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this and you know it too. 
So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. And we are back and we'll pick up right where we left off. And this will be the final segment of uh, story time with Sykes Wilford. All right. Be- be- uh, before we start talking about a couple other, a uh, couple other of our favorite moments. Uh, yeah. I've started asking a couple of people is, is there a size of pipe or a dimension to a pipe that you require when you're picking out your pipes, you know, like a, a length shape, a dimension, you know, size of the bowl or anything like that. I, I don't have hard and fast rules. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys that have a not more than X number of grams or it must be X number of millimeters long or I don't, I'm not, I'm not that, uh, I'm not that exacting, but I smoke, by and large, I smoke little pipes. Um, and I have for a really long time. Um, I had a, maybe, maybe when I was a, a, a relatively new pipe smoker, I smoked a lot of bigger pipes and they just sort of slowly got uh, smaller and smaller and smaller until I sort of found my my sweet spot which is small but not tiny like group twos and threes not group ones um uh over the years and uh mostly straight pipes too um more straight than than bent and if they're bent then they're a little bent um and uh, length is less consequential i have a bunch of sort of long tiny billiards and uh and a bunch of short pipes and i like both um so it's it's sort of all over the place, but not terribly heavy, uh, and you know not a lot of leverage. Um, so you're smoking a straight pipe, and it's really long, and and a fairly big bowl. It's sort of the same thing as smoking a wait no I got that backwards <laughs> a a long small bowled pipe on the teeth is sort of like a a bigger pipe that's short. Yeah, um, and so yeah. I'll do either of those, but not not a great big billiard. Um, yeah, so you don't you don't have one of those sit down in the reclining chair for four hours without having to reload the bowl pipe. No, I reload the bowl about every I don't know twenty or twenty five minutes because <laughs> I smoke tiny little tiny little pipes. So what you're saying is like for most of us, when we get a fifty gram tin or a two ounce tin, we're looking at you know fourteen to eighteen bowls. You might be looking at uh, forty to forty five. Maybe I don't. I, you know, I've always. I, I at some point I need to sit down with a fifty gram tin, smoke only out of one tin for for a period of time, and count how many bowls I smoke <laughs> out of it because I I really have no idea. But I would guess yes. And, and here I am sitting as we started this until you uh, in, until you distracted me with really nice tobaccos. Um, I you know I I wrote down a, I opened up a jar of one hundred and fifty five grams of tobacco on. Uh, oh, let's see, uh, what's this? Uh, Ten days ago now. So I'm tracking my consumption. How many bowls is that? It made me happy. You know, I, you, you know, what's funny is that I measure everything. I mean, as you know, <laughs> you work for loud DC, you know, yeah. I will measure anything. Um, but, but when it comes to my pipe smoking, I, I don't know. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible pipe smoker in so many ways. My pipes are dirty. I have, I don't have, know how many pipes I have. I don't know how much tobacco I have. I don't even know where most of it is. If I lose a pipe for a while, I assume it's at home if I'm at the office. And then when I get home, we can't find it. I'm like, oh, it must be at the, the office. office. <laughs> um, yeah. And it probably got lost under the seat in the car. Um, no, I'm a terrible pipe smoker. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes I, I would imagine you do the same thing where I did, you know, full-time job in the, in the business, running and working in the, in the business with the product. You know, when it came time to sit down and relax and smoke my pipe after work, I didn't really want to think about anything. I just wanted to enjoy the smoke and relax and unwind and not measure, calibrate, calculate, you know. Oh, yeah. I spend my I spend my whole life measuring things related somehow to pipes. Even yeah. If it's, you know, yeah, yeah. packages in, in the warehouse and stuff or, or, or pipes themselves. But uh, by the time it gets to me and, and what I want to do, I just want to smoke a pipe most of the time. Yeah. I'm just not so fussy about it. So what is the uh, what's the oldest pipe in your collection? Your personal ones that you so oldest in terms of of the age of the pipe or yeah. or um, you know I 
I'm not really sure. Back to, back to, <laughs> um, I'm smoking a uh, 7LE um, Corallo, uh, which is the the, un, the old unstained rusticated finish that they did back in the day. Uh, I don't know exactly when they're stopped, but I think they stopped sometime in the 90s. Um, and, I, and I think it's from the 1960s based on the stamping. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of old, I've, I've never really been a collector of older English pipes, so I don't, I don't have uh, a lot of old dateable English pipes in my collection. Um, most of my collection is, is recent production. Uh, so, you know, I have some artisan pipe makers from, from my lifetime as a pipe smoker the last, the last 20 years. Um, and then, uh. And then mostly recent production factory pipes, um, because that's what I work with every day. And yeah. you know, it's 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 there's a lot of interesting old stuff, and I appreciate it. But there's something fun about owning bits of what you know. This is almost the opposite of what I just said about just wanting to relax, and not think about it. But it's fun owning bits of what you're working on too. Um, right. So I have a bunch of seven LAs, I have a bunch of Rops, I have Petersons, I have stuff like that because because I was involved in the creation of these lines or um, because I know the people that made them and I've been in, intimately involved in, in the narratives for these for these brands for the last however many years. Yeah, and well, and the other thing that the, everybody that's listening has to remember that when you're working in the business, you can't get everything that you want because you've got to make sure that, the, you know, that, that your customers are getting what they want. Uh, so I remember in particular you and I drooling over a Sassini four dot pipe that was like it was a St. Andrews shape and we both knew the rule that it had to go up on the website first and then and you know and the customers had to have two weeks at it before we could get it and yeah that pipe was gone and I don't know. I think we felt minutes or something. Yeah, yeah you know, we felt kind of confident, and then it was gone, lickety split. So you know, again, yeah, you know, I can see where, you know, if a really cool old Dunhill piece comes along or something like that, you know, the your customers are going to grab it first, and then you don't get that. And you know, I at some level, it's also it's my job. Yeah. And and I don't mean that in a it's my job and I don't care about pipes. Like no, it's my job and I really care about pipes, but part of doing my job well is is caring that they go to people that want them and and that I'm a responsible steward for those pipes and responsible yep. uh and I'm responsible to that customer. Um no, I, I, I love the pipes, but it also makes me happy when good pipes go to good people. Well, and it also goes back to what you were talking about with some of the artisan pipes, that the ones that you've been given by the artists are slightly flawed or slightly... <laughs> oh, in many cases, yeah. 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 You know, it, it's, They're not for public consumption. Yeah, it's not a... It, it, yeah, so again, um, yeah, the, I guess the reason, you know, that kind of goes into, again, one of my absolute favorite parts of working at smokingpipes.com and, again... You know, twice a week I'm checking the updates because of the estate pipes. Uh, because we've had some, even in, in my time, there were three estates that came through that were really cool. And the first one was Aaron Spelling. That was, that was big. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy that brought to TV, uh, you know, I was 10 or so when Charlie's Angels came out and launched Farrah Fawcett's career. Uh, you know, Aaron Spelling did Love Boat. Aaron Spelling did Beverly Hills 90210, and his daughter Tori was on it. And I'll let you tell the story of how the estate came to us, but I got to sit there and with you in a hotel room with Kevin Godby for a very long time. A, a very long time indeed. That was a long, <laughs> long day because it was a lot. Of, I don't remember how many pipes that was. It was like 600 or something. 700. Yeah, yeah it was like 670, 680, 700. At the end of the day, I had carpal tunnel and and uh, was cramped up completely. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly how that all played, but uh, I somehow think I, I, Rick Newcomb was involved somehow, wasn't he? I don't remember. I just remember you saying, hey, we need to go over to Kevin Godby's room and evaluate this big estate of pipes. And it's, by the way, it's Aaron Spelling. 
Okay, and I, I, me being me, I had no idea who Aaron Spelling was when I when we had that conversation. I then, did. Then you had to to like educate me and stuff. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so some combination of of Kevin Godby and Rick Newcomb were were organizing this on for the for the sellers the the estate, and uh, and you and I went and this was the Chicago Pipe Show and you and I sat in Kevin Godby's room for. I don't know, 12 hours, something ridiculous. Yeah. Where they're <laughs> going through and organizing these pipes and an enormous number of them. So this was an interesting estate in so many, so many levels. It was Aaron Spelling. It was 670, 680 pipes of which 600 were Dunhills. No, I think it was actually about, uh, I think about 500 were Dunhills. Oh, all those Davidoff, all the old ST Davidoff. St. DuPont. St. DuPont, that was it. It wasn't Davidoff. It was St. DuPont, gold banded. All the same shape, just a just a slightly different length on them. And I re, I remember joking because I got the St. Duponts to start evaluating and listing them out, and I discuss and I decided that at the end of that I was the world's leading expert on St. Dupont pipes. Oh, without question, you were. Yeah, you had touched more than anybody in in, in the history of pipe them at that point, except for Aaron Spelling, <laughs> possibly including Aaron Spelling. Yeah. Yeah, um, but so it was the St. Duponts, of which there were dozens and dozens, and then it was an enormous number of Group Three uh, Dunhills in various finishes, but it was all one shape. But I don't remember what shape it was now. Um, from between 1977 and 1983 or four or five, it was a very brief period in time where he just bought, I don't know, the entire production. Of this one particular Dunhill shape. It, it and he al- must have been buying them like four or five at a time. <laughs> it almost reminded me like, you know, the like the uh, you know, like the guy that comes home at the end of the uh, at the end of the work week on Friday and stops and picks up a six pack of beer for the weekend. I think Aaron drove by the Dunhill store and picked up a six pack of pipes for the weekend. <laughs> And they weren't very heavily smoked. No, no. Well, I mean, when you have 700 pipes, how heavily smoked can they be? Yeah, and and then the funny part to me was you could also tell where there were pipes that somebody had given him. That because were just, there were random whatevers. Yeah, they, they didn't make any sense. They didn't fit the collection at all. Yeah, uh, but they were all pretty much the same size, same shape, same smoked yeah, you know, it looked like maybe I don't know twenty, thirty bowls, and then and then it's like your pipes got lost under the seat of the car, and somebody came along, and yeah, you know, I I think he had a butler or somebody or a valet to clean out his car for him and put the pipes back in the rack, and there they were. I guess. Um, speaking of weird stuff that had been given to him that was obviously not part of the collection, so there there is this one uh, uh, one brass. Uh, I don't know, soldier's head that you would, I at the time decided was Belgian. I have no idea why yeah, we thought, right. decided that, he was Belgian. That brass pipe was in that collection. Yeah, that's still on my pipe rack. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's in my, my collection of oddities. Because it was so, unsellable. Like, it wasn't even smokable as a pipe. It was just a weird brass simulacrum of a pipe. That is the rarest pipe in the world because that is the only brass-headed pipe that Aaron Spelling owned. Yes. And now you have it. Yes, it's now it's now the only brass-headed pipe that I own. Well, it's a one-of-a-kind. And neither of us has smoked it. It's, yeah. it's still unsmoked because it's impossible <laughs> to actually smoke. Or want, or want to. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> oh, did I say that? <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and then there was a uh, then there was an estate that came through that you had to educate me on who that person was because I was absolutely clueless and you were so excited it was like. Yeah, it was like Christmas morning for a four-year-old. Well, I, I, I let my geekiness out here. <laughs> um, no, so uh, so I got a call or an email, I think an email, from Harriet McDougall, who uh, serious science fiction and fantasy fans will recognize as both an important editor in, in the sci-fi world um, and the wife of the late James Rigney, who wrote under the pen name Robert Jordan and was famous for the Wheel of Time series, which was a tremendously uh, uh, successful and and uh, best-selling uh, fantasy series. Um, I guess mostly in the in the '90s and, and the beginning of the 2000s. Um, and I'm I, I I'm not a serious enough fan that that I can sketch all of this out for. But I read I read most of them, um, so I knew who this guy was. I was really excited. I'm like this is a guy who's 
you know, I've read 10 or a dozen of his books. Um, it's kind of like I saw all of Aaron Spelling's shows. Kind of, yeah. 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 So, um, so Harry McDougal got my name, weirdly enough, from my father because it turned <laughs> out that they lived just a few blocks apart in, in Charleston. And they had met because they were both, and this is really odd, but um, they, they, they met because they were both growing uh, heirloom tomatoes. <laughs> so, so at some point, my, my parents, my, uh, uh, my mother and father were, were like over it at, at um, Harry McDougall's house after, after, the, after her husband's passing. Um. Uh, and saw all the pipes there, and they got talking about uh, about all of that, and then and then my dad gave her my uh, my email address for my phone number one, and um and she gave me a call and said, hey, I've got all these I've got all these pipes. My my husband died. I guess that must have been so. He died in two thousand and seven, and this would have been in like mid late two thousand ten. Yeah. Um. And and I basically said, well, you know, great. Um. I'll, I'm going to be in Charleston at some point in the not terribly distant future as of that phone call because I you know, my, didn't live far from Charleston and I was in graduate school in Charleston. My parents lived in Charleston, so I was in, in Charleston a bunch. Uh, and so uh, so I went down there and it was, it, first of all, it was just really neat uh, sitting down and chatting with this this uh, sort of living legend of the, the sci-fi and fantasy world. Um, I read other stuff too, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, nothing written after 1600 oh, i read all sorts of stuff okay um but uh but i i do have a weakness in in that particular uh in those particular genres um so uh so it was a really neat experience getting to know her and uh and spending time in her home um and it was a really neat experience going through all these pipes um it was uh, a very different collection from the one we just talked about, Aaron Spellings. Yeah. It was it was smaller. It was about a hundred pipes, hundred and fifty pipes, um, and it was a lot of really big uh, freehand, but but English freehand. So so old Sheratons. Um, I, I remember a bunch of Dunhill HTXLs and DR uh, hand turned uh, DR, you know, one star, two star. And yeah, it was a lot of big, good looking wood. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he smoked. He really smoked these pipes. Um, you could you could see the patterns of the. So if you if you see a pipe, an estate collection, and, and they're smoked enough, like the 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 pattern of where uh, rim rolling or darkening or you know minor damage to the pipe, not not seriously problematic damage to the pipe, um, but minor damage to the pipe happens that we all do to our pipes with possible exception of you, Brian, all your pipes always look immaculate. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but when you see, you know, a lifetime of someone's pipes, yeah. you, you can just sort of, it's like a fingerprint. You know, he always held them on the left side of his mouth and he always held them at a certain angle and you just, you can pick up on those nuances from seeing a whole bunch. Um, so it was sort of fun having that insight to an author that I had read. Uh, and, uh, and that was a really, that was a fun experience too. Yeah, and then the uh, I think the last one that we can that we can talk about was a uh, was an estate that came in while I was working there, and you know, when you when you get an estate from people, it was it it, it was sometimes wonderful and sometimes miserable, and then in and the middle all, were a lot of average estates of pipe smokers, collectors, and whatever. And this was also literally an estate. All three of these are actually people who died in the yeah. pipes that they had. Yeah, so we were dealing with this widow had sent in her husband's pipes, and after laying out all the pipes, there was one in particular that stood out in everybody's mind right away that was made by Yorn Mickey. Yes. So this was just a random email us and say yeah, yeah sure we'll take a look at them for you kind of a state batch you know we get these a lot uh we we have for many years and and the majority of these are so there's sort of three groups there are the my husband had a bunch of us pipes i don't know what they are 
can I just send them to you and you buy them, whatever. And it turns out to be three slightly broken Dr. Graybos and a K. Woody <laughs> missing the stem. Um, and we're like, yeah. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. You know, there'll, there'll be a, a bunches of pipes, and I'm exaggerating slightly, but there'll be a bunch of pipes where 20% are, are sellable or have value. Right. Usually because, you know, old guys, they particularly in the 50s, 60s, 70s, were utilitarian objects, and you would just sort of beat on them until they were done, and, and then you would throw them away. Um, and so we would get, we got a lot of those. And then there's another group where it's sort of solid middling stuff. It's, I mean, not middling stuff, but solid, uh, you know, it's Peterson 7 L's, like, like good stuff. Yeah, really, you know, good representation of every tobacco shop's brands exactly. over the like last Dunhill, 30, 40 you know, years. A bunch of, of, of 7 L's and a few Dunhills or a bunch of Petersons and a couple of Costellos or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, then, then the third group is well, maybe just this woman. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, and and yeah, in the in the art of randomness, there was yeah. I I think I remember maybe one other estate from a from a widower or from a widow that sent in great you know just amazing unique pieces, and then there was this one in particular that. I don't know. Do you know off the top of your head, and you can't look it up, how many Yorn Mickey's smokingpipes.com has dealt with in, what, 17, 18 years now? Like two or three. And this was one of them. This was one of them. So so this batch of pipes had a Yorn Mickey, a bunch of uh, Kamoy's uh, specimen straight grains, uh, a bunch yeah. of Kamoy Blue Rubber Bands, um, and that's all I remember. Actually, I think the, there was an early sixth in in there yeah there was a couple there he had an eye for for pieces and and the yorn mickey wasn't for some reason i remember it not being the only danish pipe in there but wow was it the <laughs> it was definitely the um the unique cream of the crop for that batch oh yeah yeah uh, well i mean a yorn mickey in any batch is, is almost certainly going to be the cream of the crop of that yeah that batch um and then I don't remember which of the three of us did the valuation, but we kind of ended up doing it. The three of us being you and and Adam Davidson and I, yeah, uh, kind of ended up valuing the batch together. We went back and forth on the Orton Mickey because there's just not a lot of data about those sorts of pipes, particularly at that time. Um, and the and <coughs> and there wasn't a lot of data on some of the top quality Kamoys that he had. Too. No, our our good data really topped out around Blue Band, and he had the stuff above that. Yeah. So what I do remember is we we came up with a uh, we came up with an evaluation for the estate and of, and of course it was going to be a cash payment to the lady and I got on the phone and called her and she broke down in tears when I told her what the value was. I don't remember us. what it was, but it must have been five figures, right? I mean, it must have like high high four figures or or well into the five figures. I don't remember how many pipes there were aside from. I remember her breaking down in tears, and then I started to ask her a little bit more information about her husband and and. You know, wow, he had a great eye for pipes, and what was he doing? And I, you know, through his pipes, I really got to know him as a person. And then talking to her, uh, he was drafted in World War II, stayed in the Army because they offered him a chance to go to medical school where he became a dentist, stayed stationed in Germany, and before he got married in the early 60s, so from like 1954, 455 until the early 60s he'd take his leave and go to london and walk the pipe shops of london looking for pipes uh and then they got married and he transferred back to stateside and you could see then where his pipe buying started to started to take down a little bit because he had a family to raise and was raising it on a on an army dentist budget uh, and then he spent the final times of his life, the final parts of his life, as a hobbyist, but the official photographer for the University of Pittsburgh's orchestra. That's neat. Um, but and, she had no idea that that she was sitting on many, many thousands of dollars in pipes. I mean, a, a no. huge amount of money in in pipes. Yeah, and and you know, of course, when somebody sends you an email, we always answered the emails politely, or it might have been a phone call. They answered the phone call politely, and always had to remind them, you know. No, we can't do the evaluation until we actually see the pipes because we need to see the condition of them and you know need to look at them first. 
before we do that and it was she was kind of hesitant but i do distinctly remember her breaking down in tears when she heard the amount and she heard how much we as a group really respected her husband's pipe collection uh we respected it enough to the point where i'm holding in my hand one of his Kamoy's specimen straight grain pipes that ended up in my collection and for those that have listened to the pipes magazine radio show for many years you'll remember a picture of me sitting in a recording studio holding a pipe well that's the pipe that i'm holding is this one you know this Kamoy's is in that picture with me it uh, is a great pipe and it's just super fine grain all the way around and it's probably you know i i I jokingly, I don't travel with it too much because I really don't want it to get hurt. Uh, but when I have the chance to show it to pipe makers, I explain to them that this is, when you look at a billiard, that is the perfect way to shape a billiard and the grain is dead on perfect on it. Fantastic pipe. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was an amazing, all three of those were great experiences for different reasons. Yeah. All three of those estate batches. Just all part of the fun of working at smokingpipes.com. Yeah, a very long time ago. A long time ago. Now, now it's now not it's still quite. Fun. It's still fun, but I'm not there, yeah. so it's not nearly as much. fun. It was more fun when Brian was around. Yeah. On that note, we'll uh, we'll end this here, and we'll take a break and be right back. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. internet radio and we are back and i you know again i gotta say how much fun that was just hanging out with sykes on those evenings and uh you know just two pipe guys getting a chance to chat and uh, we happened to record some of our favorite stories uh, all right for music uh going back to our official uh, music director dino of the uh, pipes magazine radio show and Dino pointed out this one from Cream with uh, Ginger Baker, who smoked a pipe, and his bandmates, uh, Jack Bruce and a kid named Eric Clapton, who turned out to be pretty good, too. Uh, this is Cream doing their version of Crossroads.
That is uh, Cream featuring Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, and Eric Clapton, and just some uh, some good old rock and roll. What's this? A letter for me. In the mailbag, going back to last week's show with Jeff Grasick, uh Ira, the writing rabbi, says, Hi, Brian. Terrific show. I was really impressed by Jeff and have definitely put Allen Brothers pipes on my wish list. Uh, I wish I could put a Jay Allen on my wish list, but some things are beyond even wishing for. Uh, I love the music. I also noticed a couple of new commercials. It was a relief to hear something different in that department. Uh, Appreciated the rave, too. Hope you are fully recovered from your scooping best Ira. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fully recovered. Uh, And then uh, Casey Ghost says, I don't even think about Digby's and Bertram's anymore. You just got to believe if you wanted one, it'd be rather cheap. Uh, I've been poking around eBay and, uh, you know, finding a good one's not real easy lately. Uh, And then uh, Casey Ghost goes on to say, Jeff is a friendly guy and I suspect he could go for an hour or just two or on just two or three questions. You know, when you think about it, getting a master's degree in something like history, suddenly pipe pipe carving makes sense. Yeah, yeah, well, um, and then he's always got that to fall back onto if this uh, pipe carving thing goes away. Um, I will say, uh, yeah, all went well on the uh, on the colonoscopy. Um, and I'll, I will tell you, I'll take this time to remind all of you men uh, I didn't find that the uh, that the prep for it was as bad as everybody said. It uh, it was just a long day, day and a half of uh, you know not nice tastes in my mouth for uh, for a day of it. Um, but I will highly recommend to you that, of course, you know get the test. Um, yeah, have it done because. Uh, colorectal cancer is the number two killer of men in the uh in america and in the world so you know if we can uh if we can catch it early it's well worth the day's worth of uh, pain and suffering for it and uh, besides that as i told my wife and everybody i've got a i've got a fairly substantial stockpile of tobacco here so i want to make sure that i am around to smoke it all and uh i don't want to i don't want anything sneaking up on me all right uh comments or questions email me brian at pipesmagazine.com post them on the pipes magazine radio show page right there uh right now as as you're listening to this show i have a uh, radio show listener who is out on a cruise on the uh, caribbean so if you've got any travel related questions uh, just email me, brian.levine at mei-travel.com or brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, send me a friend request on Facebook and send me a message there. And in fact, if you're on Facebook and you're not a friend of mine, shame on you. You should be doing that and you should be following the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. Uh, the other thing that you could really do now that it's uh, fall weather and uh, more comfortable to sit outside, you know, Get outside on those days that you can and smoke your pipe and share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your pipe-smoking friends and yeah, share it with your enemies, especially those anti-smokers. <laughs> Let them see how happy we are. All right, a uh, rave of sorts or more of an observation coming up next. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Thank you. 
Here is a little bit of a rave for you. Well, and somewhat of an observation, and probably it's because I'm getting tired of ranting about stuff, but here's a rave for you. And if you remember back a while ago, I complained about the cost of going to the movies. Well, recently we signed up for the AMC A-List. The AMC A-List is, uh, if you don't know, it's $20 a month plus tax, and it gets you into three movies per week. Now... I don't know of anybody that can go to three movies per week. That's a total of like 14 movies in a month on average. I don't know of 14 movies in a month on average in theaters that I want to see. But what it has done is it's gotten me and my wife out to the movies four or five times a month now for two and a half months. And we've seen some decent movies. We saw some movies that we wouldn't see. Uh... But it's also brought our cost way down. So the average is about $4 per person to go to the movies. And then we spend $14 on a bucket of popcorn and a, and a drink. So now you're talking about $22 for two hours of entertainment and a little bit of fun outside the house. So remember when I said that movies were getting too expensive and movie theaters need to figure out what to do? Well, they figured it out. And on top of that, with the A-list, you accumulate points for things you spend. So it's like every other, uh, you know, every four or five things of popcorn that we buy, we get $5 off. Uh, they've really done a good job of bringing the cost down and making some movies available to you that you wouldn't have wanted to see. Now, I the last one that we saw... Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the story of Queen or Freddie Mercury, and all I can say is if you're a Queen fan, go see it. And remember, it's not a documentary. It is a dramatization, so go see it with that in mind. Um, not for the kids, but definitely go see it and, um, you know, brought back fond memories of, uh, of Queen to me. Anyway... Uh, comments or questions, again, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you're on iTunes, we would appreciate a rating or a review there. Uh, if you're uh, wandering around the country squire, say hello to my favorite hobbits from their favorite Gandalf, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll uh, mash them up soon. Anyway, uh, once again, thanks to Sykes for sitting, sitting down in front of the microphone and uh, sharing stories with me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. <laughs> the story on those fish balls. Coming right out. I'll hurry it up, all right? All I've had today is like six gummy bears and some scotch. 